Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we explore what it means to be a well-rounded, happy, goal-crushing athlete. Every week, myself, sports journalist Molly Herford, and cycling coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford interview experts and chat through all of your training questions. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Peter, how's it going? It's going well. Yeah, we had the eight-hour relay this weekend, so it was out again, saw lots of people. Um, it was good. Yeah, go hard and then sit around. It's mm-hmm. bike racing. Yep, yep. And your A race is coming up. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I still am waffling between whether I'm ready or not. But uh, yeah, my registration got, just got confirmed this morning. So yeah, we're it's coming. Yeah, and I actually have a couple months off of racing, which is very nice after a fairly hectic month. And I mean, actually, today's guest, we kind of talk about the the hectic month that I've had and probably how it wasn't really the best for, for performance in really any aspect of my life. But I think this is something that a lot of our, our listeners can relate to here. Okay. Yeah. And you found or, or ran into, met this this guest uh, via another interview you were doing for Scribd. Uh, you know, it's a, well, maybe you should describe what Scribd is. Yeah. Scribd. So S C R I B D dot com is actually kind of like a picture Netflix for books. So very similar to Kindle Unlimited, really. Uh, it's about, I think it's 10 bucks a month. And honestly, the, the amount of books you can get on there is pretty fantastic. Right. Uh, right. And this isn't even an ad. This is just it's something yeah. you read a lot. So you appreciate having you know a decent books you can't just go through you know you can get books anywhere i guess but these are you know common books including you said the uh old velo press so even the joe frill books are yeah so pretty much anything that was published by velo press is available on scribd which is pretty awesome because there's a huge catalog of is that basically... fitzgerald stuff too? Yep. yeah so a lot of stuff say. listeners not, not everything not them. it okay Okay, don't oversell it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but a ton of the books that you would find on VeloPress, uh, just so many really good sporting books. I've actually been really oddly into books about shipwrecks lately, so I've okay. just been crushing through them. And I, I read a couple pet training books, I think, mm-hmm. on that. Yeah, so lots of lots of different content on there. And actually, uh, I was interviewing Pierre Quinn because he has a short little book called Unbalanced that's all about, uh, surprise, uh, life balance and sort of that life work hobbies everything balance and how how basically to to be balanced you are unbalanced uh, is kind of the concept and as i was talking to him i was like oh my gosh so much of this if you change work for sport or uh, hobbies for training or something like that it speaks so much to issues that all of us are, are dealing with as we're trying to balance you know having great family lives i mean even us we, we don't have kids but we do have a dog who needs some behavioral training and lots of walks and lots of snackies and lots of swimmies uh you know along with plenty of work that we're both doing plus all of our training and racing and you know sometimes sometimes we we overfill the plate so talking to him and kind of working through some of that, uh, this was like a half coaching therapy session, half, uh, half excellent episode for all of you. Um, but I, I think honestly, sometimes it takes someone who's outside sport to kind of put a lot of sport stuff in perspective. Uh, at one point he was like, just so you know, no one cares if you win. And I was like, oh God, you're right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, and it gets to that, you know, that's really with the consummate athlete, that was really what we're, you know, a big part of that is that all these other things, you know, as much as uh, 
all of us, I think, want to sort of compartmentalize and pretend like we can just, you know, do the training, but just give me the training plan, right? Sometimes I, I have people say this to me in this sort of, you know, they're really, you know, just ignore the rest of my life. Well, you know, we can't really ignore that. You know, that's how, you know, you get sick or divorces or, you know, fired from work. You know, we, we have to attend to these things and we have to, I guess, fit it fit it all in somehow, right? And that's really the, the art of coaching and, and the, why I like coaching adults versus, you know, elites or, or pros where there's this blank slate, you know, with adults, we don't have a, a blank slate. We have to fit it in. And realistically, I mean, how many times have you seen it actually work where someone... Oh, it doesn't. It, it no, doesn't. it absolutely doesn't. No, because that's the thing. Like, eventually someone is going to have, oh, I have this work thing that I have to do that uh, I didn't mention, but you gave me this training that's based on just the race and now this work conference has come up or whatever. And I mean, gosh, like I had this exact thing in the past month, right? Like I didn't expect to be going to Belgian Waffle Ride to be working it. I had a big training weekend. We're very that bad weekend. at saying no. Yeah. And it's, it's that idea that we can outwork. I don't know if that's like a Western thing, right? But it's that idea that you can like outwork, you know, just work harder and, and get better results. Right. And that leads us into my, my favorite, the inverted U, where at some point you work harder and you actually get less, right? There's a decreasing return. Yeah, exactly. So I thought, Pierre had some just fantastic thoughts on this, new ways of looking at it. Um, and one of my favorite things that he kind of invited everyone to do is really listing, and we talked about this sort of during our mid-season goal reset episode a couple weeks ago, but sort of this idea of listing out everything that you want to do in the next few years, like list out all of these goals that you kind of have, whether they're in the back of your head, whether you had them written down somewhere for your New Year's resolution, all of that stuff, list all the goals, and then start listing everything you have to do to make each goal happen. And pretty quickly, you know, you end up with just a wall of basically endless a actions that you'd have to take to get to all of these goals. And it just sort of is this exercise that helps you see exactly what you're you're asking of yourself in order to hit all of these things, right? Like earn a million dollars this year or your six figures or whatever, whatever that number is, uh, you know, win, win nationals, win this race, win the like do this thing. Also, you know, go on this long vacation with your kids, build a sailboat, you know, build out your conversion van while training your dog, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I thought that was just a really nice visual of, oh, right, we can't do everything all at once. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it sounds it sounds like a useful episode. Definitely. And of course, uh, you know, again, not sponsored, but Scribd is an excellent place to find Pierre. And we also talk about where you can find him online and watch his speaking. So definitely check that out. And without further ado, enjoy this episode with Pierre Quinn. Pierre, welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I am so excited to talk all about uh, Unbalance, which a lot of, I think, our, our listeners can really uh, relate to. So welcome. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to join and, and have this conversation today. Yeah. So one thing that keeps, I keep thinking about, we've spoken before for another article I was working on. And I remember during it, a big thing that you said that really stuck with me is that you have different, you know, phases of life where things are in different types of balance. And I remember you mentioning, you know, at some points in time, you were getting up early to go for your runs. And then other times you're, you know, prioritizing nap time in the afternoon. Um, so I guess like, where have you been in that sort of uh, workout -y sphere and where are you right now? <laughs> It's really interesting. I just, at the time that we're having this conversation and recording this podcast, it's the day after my 41st birthday. Ooh. So, and a lot of things started to happen for me when I turned 40. And one of the biggest things for me was prioritizing my health. 
So I'm not a, under this impression that at 40, I'm going to start slowing down in any stretch of the imagination, a whole lot of living for me to do. And I said, in order for me to have the, the body, the physical stamina to hop on more planes and to work with more people and to do fun things. And hopefully in a few years, if, if my daughters decide to get married and have kids to be around and have the energy for my grandchildren, that demands that I take better care of my physical health now. And I know we'll get into this later on in the conversation. Making that choice means that I have to sacrifice certain things. I don't have the bandwidth and, and, the, and the truth is, I've never had the bandwidth at any time in my life to do all the things that I wanted to do at the same time. At every stage of life, even if we don't like the word sacrifice, there was some exchange going on. So I realized at this stage of life for me that, you know, my favorite shows on Netflix maybe don't get as much airtime because I need that time for the run or for the workout or for the 15 minute abs uh, that I really need to do. Don't we all? Don't we all? <laughs> Somehow it's always the like short little core work or the short little strength training that gets skipped. And this is even for athletes I know that are training like 15, 20 hours a week. Mm-hmm. For some reason, they can't manage to like squeak in that 20 minute thing. So it's an everybody problem. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not a fan. I, I, no, even when I was younger and I was in much better shape. I was never a fan of core work. So shouts out to all the people who listen to podcasts who love the core workout. Uh, I'm not there yet. That's fair. That's fair. Um, so give us kind of a quick background on who you are professionally, how, how you explain to someone what it is that you do when, uh, when you're in an elevator and someone turns to you and it's like, oh, what do you do for work? Yeah, it's one that I always struggle with. <laughs> it's, always an, it's always an interesting conversation, right? And a lot of it for me is contextual. It depends on really who I'm talking to. But my life centers around three main things. It, it centers around speaking. And my primary speaking topic is emerging leadership, people who are sitting in a seat of responsibility for the first time. They're trying to figure out what the heck they're supposed to do. Uh, the second bucket that I hang out a lot in is the coaching space. So not as much life coaching, more executive and leadership coaching, but some life coaching elements get sprinkled into that there and performance and team building, how to hold yourself together as you're leading others. And then the third bucket is really the consulting piece. How do we how do we strategize around making systems and teams work together uh, for certain organizations? I've been doing that for the better part of, I would say, 15 years. And when people do the math and start to add and they say, wait a minute, or even subtract 15 years, you were in your 20s. Well, in my 20s, I started in graduate school teaching college freshmen uh, team building in a fundamental communications course. And all of these smart, advanced high schoolers, I would call them because we got them as college freshmen. They were super smart, talented. Some of them were there on scholarships, but they couldn't figure out how to make it work together and connect with other people. And this is even people who uh, maybe more to your audience have come from environments where they were on teams, where they were athletes, where they participated in sports. But here in the classroom now, my mission was to help them realize how to leverage their strengths academically and intellectually. So I say it's about 15 years doing this work of building people and teams in some form or fashion. 
I love it. And that's led to a lot of what you talk about is this idea of balance slash unbalance is how you kind of phrased it when we talked about it last time. Um, could you kind of uh, just maybe explain like where you've come to your, your definition of balance or unbalance? Yeah. <laughs> and you know, it's, it, I kind of pulled the, the unbalanced idea out of, out of a hat when I was on a way to give a talk about life balance. And as I'm sitting in the car and I'm driving there, I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to frame this out. I'd practiced it before, but something about the, the topic and the title just didn't set well with me. And I really rested on this idea that it's, it's really out of balance. And the reason why I say it's out of balance, because traditionally when we look at the definition of balance, it's this idea of equal portions or all things being equal, but not much in life works that way. You know, in our previous conversation, when we were talking about this before, I talked about the, the food pyramid or the food plate that has taken shape over time. It's, it's, I don't even know what variation that, that we're on right now. I don't think anybody knows. <laughs> but it's this, it's this idea, and I know, uh, you know some, some of your listeners are, are heavy into nutrition. It's this idea that in order for you to be at your best, it does not constitute equal portions of everything. Because if it did, I would have many more donuts or chili dogs on my plate than is actually necessary for me to achieve optimal health. So it's really out of balance. It's not, it's not equal portions of everything, but it's having the things that matter in the right proportion. So that may mean a little bit, of, little bit more of one thing and a little bit less of another in order for me to be at my best. And that's, that's been the case for, I think, all of us at every stage of life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I imagine you probably talk to a lot of executive types or especially new leaders, now that I think about this, where mm -hmm. they have, you know, just so many big goals, even just within their work lives, um, where, you know, now they have this new leadership position, but they also have all of these big projects aside from that, that they want to tackle. And I imagine that's part of how the, the balance thing becomes really kind of key. And I'd say all of our listeners are struggling with that too, right? They have all of their work stuff. Most of them are, you know, pretty high up. They have their family stuff and then they have these huge sport goals. So, mm -hmm. I mean, how do you, how do you help people kind of come to terms with, with that whole uh, delicate imbalance? <laughs> there, there, there's two main things I want to touch on here. One is an experience from taking a couple of doctoral courses. I was one of those adventurous people who said, I want to pursue a PhD. And I started twice. <laughs> I, I've yet to finish the PhD. Uh, but when I was doing orientation for, for, my, for my doctorate in organizational leadership, I remember one of the first lectures I listened to, and the, the professor said, I know you're all smart in this program. We knew that because in the application process and interview process. So we know you're all smart. He said, please don't try to prove to us how smart you are, because that's not the way this works. And he's, he went on to say that what makes it difficult is that many people coming into doctoral work assume that you should try to read everything. He said, trying to read everything is a setup for failure. You simply do not have the time. His, his, his thought was read as much as you need to, to grasp a concept, to finish a paper, to complete assignment, to complete an assignment, no more or, or no less. 
And that really, that really struck me because I was thinking, wait a minute, at this level of academic excellence, of course, I'm supposed to read everything. Isn't that the object? But it's, it, it helped me really understand, helped me really see that one, I didn't have time for it. I mean, I'm full-time, <laughs> I got a full-time job. I have a wife, I have two kids. I have things I want to do in my extracurricular time that was you know, drastically reduced attempting a doctoral program, but recognizing for my goals, for what I'm looking to accomplish, I will not be able to do everything all the time. That does not mean that by, of, by neglecting some things, I will minimize my success. It's actually making me more successful when I know what to pick up and what to put down at, and at what time Mm-hmm. what time to do it. So that, that was a huge, that was a huge lesson. And even though I never finished my doctoral studies, <laughs> that was, that was a huge, a huge lesson for me. And the, the other piece is recognizing when we look at all of our famous, famous athletes, our famous, our high achievers, when you have conversations with them, listen to their podcast or read their book, every single person will tell you, I had to give up something to get here. I listened to an interview with Tim Grover a couple of weeks ago. Tim Grover, huge performance trainer, the Kobe Bryant's and Michael Jordan's of the oh, world. Yeah, he has a sports psych book, I think. That- yeah, just came out with a book. And I was watching a, a podcast interview uh, that he was giving. It was a, a podcast for CEOs. And he tells he told a story about how being a world-class trainer meant that he had to spend a lot of days away from home, a lot of days on the plane. There were times where he missed school plays or he missed certain milestone moments in the life of his family, but that was the exchange. And he did as much as he could to make up for it and be there in other moments. But he knew then he explained to his daughter at a young age, in order for us to have this, I'm not always going to be able to do that. The challenge with high performers is that high performers, many of them because of past success, think that they're superhuman, that they can do everything, and that we judge the, the evaluation in which we used to judge ourselves in one area is the evaluation in all areas. So if you're, if you, if you're, you know, Tour de France, you, you know, you're top five in Tour de France, that means you need to be top five in every area of your life. And I think that's I, part of that is we're, we're in the world that we live in, this social media fishbowl, especially for high performers where everyone is looking at you. Sometimes if we're honest, we're, we're pretending for the sake of outside opinion to the detriment of what happens to us inside, not, not just inside of our homes, but also inside of our heads. So um, I tell people, embrace the reality of the top performers before you and determine what you're willing to do less of so that you can do more of the things that really matter to you at this time. 
Yeah. Oh, it's so funny. You said that I literally just got off another interview that where I was talking about, uh, there's actually for the first time ever, like an eight day women's tour de France this year. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to one of the organizers of it. Um, and she was saying, you know, Oh, it's amazing. Like all, a lot of the women that are racing it, uh, they have, you know, their, their moms, they have other jobs or they were doing other things. And I was like, I'm going to pause you right there. Because I think like when we talk about this and we try to say like they're doing all of these things and they're doing so amazingly well, like we're setting these completely like absurd expectations for for them and for for, you know, women who are are watching it. And we're also not really identifying the reality of it. The reality of it is if you actually like look at it, okay, they have help with the kids. They, you know, they have great spouses who are helping with the kids. They've actually stopped working at the other job to make space for the women's tour de France. Like, Mm -hmm. so it was just something where I just, I was like, okay, we, we have to like break this weird myth that there are these super women who are lining up in France right now. (laughs) Like they are. But uh, yeah, maybe not in every category all the time right now. You know, there was a post on, on LinkedIn. Someone was sharing their story and they were talking about how in the past two years they've doubled their income and they have a great family and they're able to take trips and just checking off all the boxes, all the standard boxes. And, you know, something to the to the end of, you know, here's to all the hardworking women out there who are making miracles happen. And then they put a little space and then they kept typing and they said, here's the real story. I've helped with the kids. I hire a house cleaner. You know, there's there's a meal prep service that we use. You know, I outsource a lot of things in my house in order for me to make it happen. And I think for a lot of us, we bought into some picture. And I don't know where it came from, but this picture of being all things to all people at all times. And if you're a woman that wants to race in the Tour de France, then that means, well, you have to make meals for three weeks for your kids and do all of these things. You, you can't leverage your time in a different way because that takes away what's, from what you're really supposed to be doing. And it's such a lie that's just crushing our society in so many different areas. And we're much better served in embracing this idea of times and seasons. You know, my daughters are 14, well, soon to be 14 and 12. And there were things that we did for them when they were really small that now at 14 and 12, they do for themselves. And because we're in a different season, I shift that time in different areas. And I don't feel badly about it. Because it's a different season, it's a different area of the life, it's a different construct. And we only have a certain amount of fixed hours. And it's perfectly okay to reconfigure those hours to do what's best for us, even if it doesn't fit someone else, someone else's preconceived notion of what we're supposed to be doing with that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes me think a lot about, uh, we know a lot of teachers who are like really, really great athletes. They're amazing racers. And for some reason, they always seem to pick these goal races that happen in like early June or like mid-September. So either right in the middle of like final season or right in like the first week of school or first two weeks of school. And it's always really funny because you're just like, wait, why aren't we aligning our, our goal race with, with when, when we're off for the summer and we actually have like the time, but we have this weird, like season stacking that happens where I feel like there's almost now this thing where you want to have everything happen all at once. And then you have this like nice, like theoretical downtime that I feel like never actually happens. 
Um, is that something you've seen kind of like where people just stack up all of their goals and objectives thinking like, and then next month will be recovery time. Part of, part of the reason I think why we do that is this idea of neg- negativity bias and negativity bias suggests that we pay more attention to, to the signals when things go badly, when, when they go wrong. In fact, some of us, it's hard for us to celebrate finishing for all of your Ironman racers or for all of your Spartan race finishers, for your marathoners, half marathoners, 5K folks, couch to 5K folks, whoever, whoever you are, I'm a couch to 5K person myself. It's hard for us to celebrate whatever the achievement is because we're waiting for the next shoe to drop. We're waiting for the next bad thing to happen, the next unfortunate circumstance. So one of the ways that we try to mitigate against that is that we try to stack so many next things on our list to crowd out the possibility of a bad thing happening. So instead of sitting in and celebrating and taking a deep breath and enjoying the moment, we're fearful that when we're enjoying the moment, something as bad as bad is going to happen. So we look for the next even good or happy or beneficial distraction uh, to keep ourselves from potentially being uh, let down. And ultimately, and, and you know this as a person who is high on performance, you can you can only you can only turn that wheel so many times before something begins to break down. And the, the time off the rest of break, you should have taken in stride in season in pace now becomes elongated because the, the recovery is much more deeper and so much more work needs to be done. But a lot of times we're afraid of something bad happening. So we don't take that time to pause, reflect and give ourselves space as we're preparing for what's next. Oh my gosh. It's, I'm just gonna have to like replay that over and over again. It's so funny. We were just talking a couple of weeks ago on the podcast about mid-season goals and sort of the idea of resetting and all that. And one thing we were kind of arguing with each other about uh, my, my co-host and husband and I um, was this idea of like, when you have your big goal race coming up, should you schedule your next event? Because for some people, right after the race, they hit this like weird trough where they like kind of lose motivation for a while because there's like nothing on the horizon and like, it's all over, like it's done. What do you do now? And my argument for not scheduling, and you know, it's like schedule something else. You have something that's your next thing you're looking forward to. And I was like, no, that would like, to me, that's this odd thing where once you've scheduled the next thing, you've kind of almost like forgotten about the actual goal. That's like two weeks away. Now you're already, your brain is like jumping ahead. You're like, okay, even if this one sucks, I have the next one coming up. Even if this one goes well, I have the next one coming up. You've already just like jumped into the future because now you've started planning that one instead of focusing on the one that's right in front of you. (laughs) There's this idea of, Uh, I can't remember the doctor who framed it, the medical doctor who framed it, but the seven different types of rest. I don't know if you've heard of of it before or not. not. And and one of of those, of course, there's there's the physical rest that that we need. Uh, But sometimes the rest that we need is sensory rest. And it's not just the putting away the devices, the dings, the blue lights and all of that. 
sometimes it's the the reconnecting with outside spaces in a way that is not achievement driven. So, you know, we're having a conversation about athletic athletics and and high performing athletes. So, you know, there's this idea of outside, you know, I need to I need to go kayaking or I need to go rock climbing or I need to do something to prove my athletic prowess. What would it be like to celebrate the moments of rest and using set rest as an achievement or using rest as the next thing to get to? So what if it's what would it look like if it wasn't the next race, but I'm going to crush this race and then I'm really, really looking forward to how I craft my my recovery period, because psychologically we think of recovery and I'm a huge basketball fan. So I watched a lot of clay Thompson who, who plays for the golden state warriors, a lot of interviews during his recovery time and how he was talking about how he didn't feel like himself because he was not on the court and the 900 days where he did not play basketball. He was wrestling with his mental health, with with his personal sense of value, with his contribution to the team. There are moments where he's sitting on the sideline and he's in tears because he wants to be out there so bad, so badly. And he said, every single day I thought about just getting back on the court, getting back on the court, getting back on the court. I don't get it because I have, I've never performed at that level. I do resonate with this idea of having a major achievement but not celebrating the rest that I've earned as an equal part of the achievement and missing out on the on the transformation and and missing out on the celebration that comes from from resting in a job well, well done as a part of gearing up for the next thing that's on the horizon and giving myself that, that mental and physical break to do, to do that. There's a big thing. Now, another basketball reference, there's a basketball player who, who says he has not touched a basketball in several weeks because he's been recovering and the news media is on him like a hawk. They're saying, how, what do you mean you haven't touched a basketball? And he's like, no, I need time. And when did we begin to demonize taking a break mm-hmm. and allowing ourselves to truly recover, not just physically, which I think many of your athlete listeners can understand, but also mentally and psychologically. And what does that rest look like as well? Yeah. And I think that's actually, to me, what set, what sort of separates the truly professional athletes from We'll, we'll say uh, th- those of us amateurs that just kind of want to keep keep banging our heads against a wall. Um, the the best racers I know are the ones that actually stop after the big race and take the time to recover completely, and like then they can get back to it nice and slow. Um, the most impressive thing I've heard this entire year is that uh, I I work with one team and one of the athletes on it. Um, I was uh, working with another race and the race really wanted him at the race. They're like, Oh, could you get him to come? And I was talking to him. I was like, Hey, like, you know, you can probably, you can probably even make some money coming to this. Like they'd probably cover all your stuff, like super good exposure. They really want you there. And he was just like, I can't do it. Like I have recovery that week. Like that's my priority. I have to, you know, do this other race in three weeks. So I can't, you know, fly across the country for this weekend. 
Like, it's just not, not something I can do. And I was like, holy crap, to have a young athlete actually <laughs> turn down like, the, the chance to go race for someone that's actually like potentially paying him to do it. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't going to work with his recovery trajectory. And it was just like the most impressive thing that I've ever heard from an athlete. <laughs> you know, this idea of resilience, right? It's resilience is how you bounce back, how you bounce back after, after a difficult moment. Well, where does that resilience come from? It really comes from how you prep yourself or, or how you, if I'm, I'm planning this talk and I'm not sure when this episode will come out, but I'll, I'll guard it enough so that the people I'm doing this talk for won't hear this analogy before I present uh, the session. And in this session, here's, here's what I'm going to do, Molly. I'm going to give the room two beach balls. One beach ball will, will be completely blown up to its full capacity. And the other beach ball is halfway. And I'm going to say, let's toss these beach balls back and forth. The side of the room that can do the most in 30 seconds gets a prize. And of course, the side with the fully inflated beach ball is going to have the advantage. And I'm going to tell them, whenever you don't take the time to find whatever practice I know for some of us, our self-care practice is exercise. So for some of us, that maybe not that might not be the best self-care practice. It, it could be painting pictures or uh, doing macaroni art or journaling, whatever the self-care practices are. But when you don't include your practices, your self-care practices as a part of your journey, you're actually letting air out of the beach ball of your life. And the more you let the air out of the beach ball of your life, you won't be able to bounce back. You won't be able to recover. The fully inflated beach ball can be tossed back and forth with ease because of the bounce back that's given by being full of air. And when we don't take care of ourselves, we're slowly letting the air out and eventually we won't be able to bounce back at all. So mm -hmm. that's gonna be in the talk. Uh, and I it's coming it. up in a couple of weeks. So, yeah. Nice. Nice. Uh, hopefully I'll have a video of that. So I'll, I'll be very <laughs> excited to say, um, kind of like a concert sort of vibe, but like at a talk, I'm in. Absolutely. <laughs> that, that's, that's exactly what I was going for. <laughs> I love it. Uh, and you, you mentioned one of the things I wanted to touch on, which is that, you know, for a lot, a lot of magazine articles. And when we're talking to, I'm going to say quote unquote, normal people exercise mm -hmm. is listed in the self-care bucket, but I would say for maybe half of our listeners, at least, uh, exercise sometimes almost gets in the way of self-care. So any, any kind of thoughts around this, like how, how maybe when we can know if, if exercise as our like self-care is actually filling up our, uh, balloon or if it's, uh, making it deflate a little bit, <laughs> you know, it, it goes to, I think what I was mentioning before, how much I'm willing to embrace everybody else's idea of what I'm supposed to be doing at that particular time. And I remember the story of Jason, Jason Caldwell, Jason Caldwell is a, is a, an elite level, elite level rower that goes on these incredible races around the world. And Jason started off as, as a baseball player, had an injury, couldn't play baseball in college anymore, 
thought that his life was was over. And then someone suggested that he joined the rowing team in college. And his rowing team, of course, like many of these stories, was the laughing stock of his particular college and you know, all of all of those normal case studies. And he gets it and he finds out that he likes it and that it works for him and that he said it was the best decision that that he ever made. But he said part of his struggle was he had only identified himself as a baseball player. So part of the mental work was shifting what he was able to do and where he found the joy and satisfaction. I don't, I don't know if it's because it sells, because it's trendy, because it's been around since, you know, Richard Simmons and Suzanne Summers for, you know, for some people might have to hop on Google to know who these exercise greats from the eighties the uh, were, but it's this idea that if I'm taking care of myself, it only means I'm working out. I'll throw another mm-hmm. old school reference out there. It only means that I'm doing Billy Blank's Tybo. Oh, Tybo, yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. So that's it. If if your if your self-care does not look like this predefined, pre-packaged scenario, then it's then it's not it's it's not self-care. If it if it doesn't fit what I see when I click on the hashtags on Instagram. And that's not real self-care. It only has to be this. And, and how do you allow space for you to, to craft what's working best for you, what connects with you, and what best serves you at this time? And for high-performance athletes, it may be like the, the basketball player who hasn't picked up a ball. It may be saying, no, I'm going to go out on my boat, <laughs> and, and I'm not even going to catch fish. I'm just going to go out on my boat and look at the sky and listen to the water and use that as my rejuvenation practice. So allowing ourselves, part of it is the brainstorm, allowing ourselves to have a moment or two where we think about what are some of the things that I enjoy doing or what might I enjoy that I've never tried before mm-hmm. as, as athletes. And I have several friends who have, you know, performed at you know high levels. They always talk about their routine. This is what they do the specific times and this is how it benefits them. Sometimes the danger of routine outside of the specific sport that you're practicing for is that routine doesn't allow you to experience discovery. And when it comes to self-care, especially for athletes, it's more about discovery. What are the options and opportunities out there? Because you're going to hit the routine for the number of reps that you have to do, the number of miles you have to run, the number of jump shots or drills that you have to do, and that's going to follow your routine or your or your pattern. Now, how can you leverage creativity by thinking about when I'm not doing this, and it's okay for me to not do this sometimes, what are the things that bring my soul back to life that don't feel like work or don't feel like training? because I spend some of my time, so much time work and training. And those experiences actually provide a nice balance to be able to get back to the hard training that we've prepped ourselves to do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I had, uh, so this past weekend I raced this, uh, 50 mile trail race and it's funny the next day we hadn't really planned it like this, but I would have had this exact problem that we're talking about right now, where I'd be like, okay, back to it, back to it, back to it. Um, 
but the next day we actually went and stayed with friends on the way home. And these friends have like four kids and three dogs and like a bunch of cats and like a bunch of chickens and three horses and a donkey and goats and, and you a know, partridge and a pear tree. <laughs> yeah. This chaotic little farm. That's just amazing. Uh, and we stayed there for a day and it was the greatest reset that I could have ever done because it was so out. You know, we live in a condo with one small dog. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Not, not, uh, not in the middle of a farm. And it was the best reset um, because, you know, it completely took my mind away from like anything to do with the race, positive or negative, like everything, you know, went great, but yeah, positive or negative. And I think it put me in a much better position to actually be like really embracing the rest week this week because I went so far out of my, my normal routine. You know, I was petting a donkey in the morning instead of doing my usual like morning core my, my dog didn't appreciate it, but I enjoyed the donkey. <laughs> so, so I completely, completely agree with this, this whole discovery versus routine thing. Um, I think that's, that's perfect. Um, and we've kind of talked about a lot of this, but uh, the last thing I really want to touch on is, it's just really mistakes that you see people making when they just have too many of these, you know, however we want to say it, balls in the air, their bucket is too full. They're trying to keep everything perfectly in balance where everything is getting equal attention. Um, you know, what are, what are some of those common mistakes and, and how do we get out of them <laughs> or how do we even acknowledge them? I guess. Cause I think there's a lot of people that are running it so tight and are on such a fine wire, but they're like perilously close to crashing and burning. <laughs> a huge one is unrealistic expectations. That's probably the biggest one. So when I, when I look at my life and, and the life of the people that I'm close to, there's, the, there's this story that we told ourselves when we were kids, teenagers, even in college, that by X age, we will have this, we'll have this much money in the bank, we'll have that, we'll have you know, this many rental properties, we'll travel to these countries, we'll do these things. And that was because we thought this is what life should be about by this time. And it really gets at the question of, well, whose dream are you living or are you attempting to live? And where did this idea come from? I think the other thing that that hits you when you get older is that you set huge goals. You set maybe Disney world fantasy goals for your life but you're not quite sure what it actually takes for you to achieve those things. You, you think, oh, you know, you're in high school, you're in college. Oh, I'm going to have a six-figure salary. Well, you don't know the, the progression that it takes to actually get there depending on your industry and the connections that you have and your expertise and all those things. So I think we do a very good job at goal setting. I think goal setting is just a natural phenomenon of life. It's the sexy fun part. <laughs> yeah, it's it's easy. I mean, it's ha- it happens what every December thirtieth or thirty first. No, we get we got the resolutions. We have the big idea, the big goal. We don't have a lot of conversation around strategy and the action plan. And once you start talking strategy and action plan, you start coming face to face with realistic expectations. So by the time I'm by the time I was. 23, I was supposed to be a multimillionaire. Obviously. <laughs> right? 
that was the that was that was that was the goal but i never sat down and talked about what realistically would have to happen in my life for that to become my reality so even when we talk about our plates of that we're spinning at the same time we know success is having all of these things going for us at the same time but we haven't had the question of well, what is it actually going to take for us to do these things well? Mm-hmm. And that was one of the reasons why I stepped away from the PhD at the time. Yeah. I had the, I had the intellectual capacity to do the work. That wasn't a question at all. But it became a competing priority. And it wasn't, it wasn't the benefit at the time wasn't enough for me to keep this plate spinning in the air. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's funny. There's a, there's this great trainer up here in Toronto, coach Clance. And I think the the quote he has is everybody wants to be a monster until they find out how monsters train. Yeah. (laughs) Just exactly what you're saying. I love it. Yeah. I mean, everybody wants to a famous motivational speaker uh, has a similar phrase, Uh, you know, Eric Thomas, he says, everybody wants to be a beast until it's time to do what beasts do. Everyone, everybody wants to be a lion until it's time to kill and eat. So, you know, it's the, the, the same idea. Mm-hmm. We, we want the, you know, men's health, women's health magazine cover. We want the, I'm a huge, like huge world's strongest man fan. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> everybody wants that. You know, I've, for, I watched that for years, partially because on Sunday afternoons growing up, it wasn't much on TV besides this on ESPN. So I think it's ESPN too. That's not even like <laughs> right. But every, but what does it take to become, is it Magnus? Magnus Samuelson. Yeah. What is it? What is it? What does it, what does it take to lift those huge, huge gray? I don't even know what they are like super huge balls that you <laughs> no. have to lift. And what does it take to pull a truck, you know, <laughs> with your back? What does it take to do all those things? And and we all want it until it until the rubber hits the road and we recognize this is what it's actually going to take to accomplish it. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I learned about life and I'm learning even as I'm coaching clients, you know, my executive coaching clients, it's OK not to pursue all the goals at the same time. You're not less of a person. You're not less of anything. Because think about it, we, we already do that. No, I won't say no one, but hardly will you find a person that's sleeping and eating at the same time. I need my sleep. That's a goal of mine. And I need to eat because I'm a foodie, but I can't do them both at the same time. One takes priority at different times over the other. And sometimes my sleep gets truncated because I'm pushing towards a certain goal. And sometimes I'm having dinner with friends and that dinner conversation and eating goes a little bit longer than it normally would because my goal is to connect in this conversation. But it doesn't make me any less of a person. And the truth is, I know this is hard for my high achievers. Winning a race does not make you more of a person. I'm going to have to put like a little record scratch noise in there. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't make you more of a person. Mm-hmm. It, it shows that you can pursue a goal 
that you can achieve that that you can set your mind to do something that you can knock it out of the park and cross the finish line but your worth is not built by the races you've won in fact you probably discover more about who you are in the training than the actual winning yeah or in the coming in second or or third instead of the winning for sure that regret that I read a book by, I think it's Daniel Pink about regret. Oh yeah. And he, he talks about it in the book, you said coming in second, there's more regret for coming in second than there is for coming in third. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so, third is like, Hey, I made it to the podium. Second is like, I was 0.2 seconds away from. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, we learn so much about ourselves in the process. It's the process that actually develops us and shapes us into who we are. Um, winning doesn't really do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Now, going to come back to this idea of like the we can't do everything or a long <laughs> list of goals and then our um, you know laundry list of things that we have to do to achieve them. Do you ever have your people actually like make the, you know, make the goal list and then actually make like the massive list of everything you'd have to do to achieve all of the goals? I'm now thinking I might need to do that and just sort of see, uh, see what I'm expecting of myself here. So it's probably several pages long. So it's a couple of exercises that I do with my clients. And one of them is, is it's sort of a goals breakdown activity. So we, we put everything on a board. I love whiteboards. We put everything on the board and then we start to work backwards. And in the process of working backwards, what are the the steps necessary to get to this big thing? It's this natural epiphany that happens. Wait a minute. This might not be a goal for right now because I'm looking (laughs) at everything. I'm looking at everything right now. I have a lot of goals on my list. Okay. So one of my goals is losing 20 pounds New York Times bestselling author, become a millionaire, travel the world, buy a new house, read 30 books a year, speak to 10,000 people a year, have 100 coaching clients. It's a, it's a huge, massive list. Yep. There are only 365 days in a year, and I need eight hours of sleep at night. So what's a goal for the next 30, 60, 90? And what's a goal? What's a, what's, a, what's a goal that needs to be on the list for 2027? It's still a goal. It's just not a priority. And I think that's one of the challenges and one of the opportunities, recognizing that every goal does not have immediate priority. That does not make it less valuable. It just puts it in its proper place because there's no way that you're balancing your checkbook while you're if people balance their checkbook anymore but there's there's no way that you're shopping for am on amazon while biking 100 miles you got to get the stuff off amazon it's life or death to get that's to get that amazon (laughs) order it's on your goals list to finish that out, to get your DoorDash or HelloFresh or, or, or Whole Foods order, however you get your groceries. It's just not a priority right now. And being okay 
with having different priorities at different times and busting through the myth of all things to all people at all times. Cause it's a, it's a lie that's shattering. We've seen, I, I know you've seen it too, Molly, amazing world-class special. We use that word special when it comes to athletes a lot, special talents that have gone, that have faltered, that have fallen off the map, that have crumbled because they were attempting to be all things to all people at all times and they could never keep it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's on, you know, we're seeing that on the world stage. And I mean, how often is that happening just in sort of these, you know, normal, like day-to-day lives of people who are just trying to yeah, balance doing their like one big race this year with the, you know, got it, getting a promotion at work and, you know, kid is struggling in school or, you know, dog isn't house trained yet or any of these, you know, massive things that are uh, taking up our time and energy. You know, a couple of years ago, I was prepping for a couch to 5k race and I was, I was running every other day working, working full time. And it, it was doing couch to 5k. Cause I hadn't run, I hadn't ran in years. Like it was, I was like, why am I even doing this? <laughs> I was doing this couch to 5k and I was running every other day to build up my stamina, my resilience. And I realized there were some things that I couldn't do because I didn't, it's not that I didn't have the time for them. I could have made time, but they weren't the priority. And then they were cutting into the priority at the time. And that was getting ready for the 5k. And I, and there were times where I I was having a conversation with my wife at the time. And I was, I I was feeling bad. I said, you know, babe, I feel bad. I want to do this 5k and I'm running, but that means that I can't do this and I can't do that. And she, she, she asked this question. She said, will you always be in the process of prepping for a 5k? And I said, no. She said, yeah. You won't always, during this time, this is the priority. And when it shifts for you, it'll have different priorities. And as long as we're honest about what we're going for, and especially of what, it, what we're asking for the people around us. You know, I was listening to an athlete. It's a boxer. I won't call the person's name. But a boxer several years ago in a conversation, and he was talking about how he was a self-made individual. And that bothered me because I said, self-made, hmm, what about your trainer, your nutritionist? What about the person who runs your schedule? What what about the, the vendor who you get your gloves from? All of these people have a part to play in your particular journey. And I think sometimes in our pursuit, we miss the people who are integral to our journey and having the conversation around how we're going to navigate the connection, the relationship, the responsibility. When I'm in the huge training season, we take it for granted. My best friend's always going to be there. They know I'm training for this race and I'm not going to call them. And this is just kind of our thing. They know this is a goal for me. They'll be fine with it. But again, to the examples we talked about before, how many people, by the time they got to the podium of, of success, lost the people around them and didn't have the people to celebrate with in pursuit of the goal because they lost out on having the conversations that they needed to have 
to have fuller success in that stage of life. So as we're having these spinning plates, I'm not saying don't run. You need to run. I'm not saying don't rock, rock climb or mountain climb or bike or do the weightlifting competition. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying we're in a better position to experience not just the success, but the rest and celebration by being honest with ourselves and by being honest with the people around us about what it's going to take and how we're going to negotiate those responsibilities and not lose ourselves and the people around us and the things that matter in the process. Oh, so good. And I think that brings it back to, yeah, it's sort of what you were saying is your main bucket, this idea, people think about leadership, you know, the same as athleticism as being this lonely solo pursuit. You're the leader, you're, you know, in charge of all of these people under you, you're an athlete, you're responsible for your success. But then in reality, like that's just not true. Like it, it sounds lonely, but it, it absolutely isn't, or it definitely shouldn't be. <laughs> I would say, I would say it shouldn't be. It, it can be, but it shouldn't be. I think one of the challenges from an organizational leadership standpoint is the expectation that everyone around you is going to understand the level that you're on. And that's not necessarily the case that the higher up in the organization that you go. Mm-hmm. The danger in that is saying, well, no one here understands me because I'm at this senior level or executive level. So I, I'll just res- resolve to be by myself in the loneliness. When the truth is, there's the opportunity. The people of the organization may not completely resonate with where you are because you're an executive. But are you the only executive in the world? And where are the other executives that you can hang out with that provide something that maybe the people in your organization don't. And the expectation that you should get everything from everyone is a bit silly. Case in point, my wife never runs with me. She will never, she will never be my, my running partner. Smart She'll woman. She'll never be my running buddy. She's like, I'm, that's not my thing. But I have buddies that run. And we text each other and we update each other on apps. And I can, I can get that understanding from them because they know what it's like to, uh, to run or to, to, to be in that space. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the same with every asset or factor of leadership. There are communities that I should be a part of, especially when I feel myself experiencing a sense of loneliness. Because sometimes as high performers, athletes, executives, loneliness creates a danger mode where we're challenged with maybe some of our values. What are the communities that you need to be a part of? That's why a lot of people don't train by themselves all the time. They want that community, that accountability, the feeling that the person that I'm with, even if the person will never run this particular race that I'm running, they know what it's like to be on the journey and I don't necessarily have to feel like I'm going through it by myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
So good. Well, I could keep talking to you all day, but I know you have a, a talk to prepare for as well. So why don't you tell everyone where they can find you so they can uh, keep up with all of the stuff you're doing and hopefully get to see you speak uh, more on the leadership front at some point or even potentially work with you. Yeah. Second, second best place to catch up with me is LinkedIn. It's my social media platform of choice. If you go to LinkedIn and type in Pierre Quinn, you'll, you'll see me there. You'll see a picture. You'll, you're, you'll hear my voice. The best place to connect with me is on my website. That's Pierre C Quinn, Pierre, the letter C Quinn, Q U I N N.com. I have an Instagram account. It's Pierre Quinn. I post once a month. You may or may not see me there, but <laughs> if Instagram is your thing, yeah, we can hang out there and you can can share. We'll do a hashtag. I'll, I'll look up all your top performing, high performing runner club hashtags and see what you're up to. <laughs> Oh, amazing. Well, Pierre, thank you so much for coming on. I feel like this episode is really going to resonate with a lot of our people who are struggling with all of these uh, more existential crises. Uh, You've given me quite a lot to think about as well. So like, oh no, now I need a whiteboard. I'm going to have to make a whole wall. It's going to, yeah, I'm going to get in trouble with my husband, but... He's going to come home and it's going to be like one of those, like uh, the, the movie where it's like all the equations on the whiteboard and it's going to be all around our house. Just every goal I've ever had. Um, but start, it's, it's good. <laughs> start with post-it notes. They're easily removable and you, you'll get in less trouble. With That's those. probably the move. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Pierre. It's been an absolute pleasure. Enjoy, uh, enjoy New Jersey and Times Square this weekend. <laughs> Thanks so much for allowing me to join the conversation and, Thanks for providing this value to your audience and helping those consummate athletes out there. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you want to hear more training, racing, and endurance sport advice, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at consummateathlete.com for a weekly dose of inspiration and advice straight to your inbox.